What's up, everybody? We are here and we're going to be talking about all things injury related and performance. We've got Phil, the physio, we're doing Physio Friday on the Sound of Moving podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Friday, Physio Friday. My name is Rad Burmeister. I'm joined here by my brother, Yanni Burmeister. We're the co-founders of Unity Gym and the co-creators of the UMS, the Unified Movement System, where we turn driven people into superhumans. The reason why we get such astonishing results with our members is we've created a program that has a perfect balance between strength, flexibility, and cardio. We get it all done in a very efficient workout. If you want to know how we do it, grab one of our blueprints, the flexibility blueprint, strength blueprint, or nutrition blueprint. And better yet, come and join the UMS Movement Mastermind. It's a private group on Facebook where you can post videos and ask questions for us to critique. And you can watch these podcasts as they're recorded live and comment and uh, join in on the discussion. Now, as always, on Friday, we're joined by the legendary, the one and only Phil White, a.k.a. Switched On Physio. How are you, bro? Click. I've always wanted to do that. We need to get a sound effect for a light switch <laughs> being flicked. When, when he says that, we go... Yeah. Do we have to? Do we need to do that? We do. We need, okay, to, do we that. need to do that. Head here first, R- yeah. Richard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yep. Stoked to be here. It's really nice being out of the house, being, hanging with the guys. So yeah, uh, happy to be here. Um, had another week of doing my little live show at three pm. So if anyone likes what we're talking about here, um, have a go at Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday um, with me. Keep me company as I monologue by myself without uh, Radniani and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a good time. <laughs> it's a much better show if you are there asking him questions and leading him along. Fact. Give him, give him <laughs> some help. Now, first and foremost, before we go further, I do want to clear up the confusion on UMS Movement Mastermind for all of those who are watching this live stream. Phil is the same size as Rad and I. It's the camera angle and the lens that makes him look like a tiny little human in the background. That's fine. We are working fine. on it. We are working on it. We're about to get a new couple of cameras set up so that he's got his own camera. No body dysmorphia here. I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine looking huge. Uh, okay, guys, we're, I'm going to quickly just um, go through the the main discussion points today uh, so you guys know where we're going. We are going to talk about Yash Vardhan Nan. He has asked a question on the UMS Movement Mastermind in relation to golfer's elbow and tendinopathy. We are also going to um, give Adam Mullaney a little bit of help in regards to his questions from the UMS online coaching group. We're also going to talk about load management and uh, give Blakely Hernaj some props. He has transitioned from the foundations to the progressions in the Muscle Up Masterclass. It's one of our harder programs, quite frankly, one of one of my favorite programs uh, that we've created. It's an absolute beast of a program. And we want to talk about how those two stories tie together with Blakely um, realizing the difficulty of the progressions program there and, uh, and why it's so important to just embrace that, you know, and not dive into it too dramatically. We've also got one more on the UMS Movement Mastermind group that I wanted to talk about, which is, uh, where is it? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, give a little bit of a chat about Becca Perry's question, thinking about doing the mobility masterclass for back bridges to improve my shoulder mobility. What do you all think? So can I, um, 
because this is going to be a really a short answer yep. and because we're about to drop if you didn't know the spine mobility masterclass is going live within about an hour of this show finishing and aiden potts who's one of our ums online coaching members who's got a head start on it, one of the benefits of being in the ums online coaching you get early access uh, and it's part of the membership he's asked a, a question that i can answer really quickly do can i answer that one yes quickly? you yep. can so aiden has said spine masterclass is unreal neck and shoulders already feel way better and how good is that because you only got access to it two days ago and that's exactly what i talk about in the video is that when i started doing spine mobility there was an immediate improvement in the pain yeah. and discomfort that i normally felt wait until you've done it for two or three weeks yeah. man you're going to feel like a different person i mean it it is unbelievable what it does so um wondering how long to stay in each phase that is actually the answer to that question is how long's a piece of string because everyone is different this this isn't like normal periodization where you have to wait for certain adaptations to occur in the, uh on in the muscles and on a cellular level or on the you know tendons and joints and everything it's more just about when you can control the movement so you might only need to be on phase one for two weeks if you can do the movements properly then you can move to the next phase that said Personally, uh, I was doing it for on average 10 minutes a day and I would I was doing the same movements for like so I was on each phase for a couple of months, I'd say yep. maybe maybe two or so two or three months because the movements are actually really hard to do like when you get to the second phase and you start doing I, the, i'm going to speed you up yep. because i don't want to say okay. but right. i do yeah. want to say I, I don't want to sit on the um spine mobility masterclass because um we've got a lot to get through today but i do want to say every single person that i've given even a a fraction of what's in that program to to work on who have complained of um neck pain or back pain has been absolutely shocked at how quickly they get results doing those movement drills. I cannot stress to you how incredibly powerful that program is. Now, I do want to quickly say before we get stuck into the questions today, uh, I will um, post a bunch of research, three research links to uh, research papers uh, in regards to vitamin D and COVID-19, as promised on the morning workout. I'm going to be posting those to the UMS Movement Mastermind uh, Facebook group today uh, straight after this workout so if you did hear that on the workout those links will go up on the mastermind group all right Phil let's dive first into uh, this um, I, I really want to talk about the post uh, with with Blakely first of all in the in sure. the online coaching group because I really think that this ties into where we're going today with tendinopathy yep. and just how important the concept of load management is. So to just to give a little bit of context to everybody watching, um, Blakely uh, is one of our, I would say, overachievers to a degree. He's just an abs absolutely um, um, a gun in his dedication. He's certainly someone who seems to have um, stoked his burning desire. Yeah. And you, you just see that he just trains in and out. He's let, like built a wicked home gym, you know, um, and he's, he's just a beast. And that's why we uh, have he's him as a moderator. Yeah. He is. He's, and he's just a really, really nice guy. Um, he said, helpful. muscle up masterclass is hard as hell. Today, I officially started the progressions phase. I'm cooked after these jumping reps. The pull-ups and the dips that follow are dang near impossible. Having to resort to hybrid sets i'll be on phase one for a while i think just very quickly com com um, context for those uh watching at home hybrid set is where it's kind of like a mechanical drop set 
where you start on the harder variation and you'll um, regress to an easier variation to get the volume in because you just can't um, continue the hard variation with good form and technique. Not stoked about how these look, but they'll, and he's referring to his video there, they'll get better, especially after shed some of this quarantine weight. As always, any feedback is more than welcome. So today I'm not um, too interested in giving that much feedback because Blakely is doing very well on the movements. I've Rad got, wants, Rad wants to get some feedback. feedback, which we can give you here. What I want to talk about is, you know, the again with Phil here because he can really shed some um, some solid light on the importance of understanding this concept of load management and why it's so important to embrace being a beginner to not ignore the signs like Blakely has done such a good job here of framing what's important um, being at a high level and pursuing that mastery level which he's certainly at uh, dropping hybrid sets in and not pushing through bad form and, and technique and things like that because of the difference in um, um, uh, tissue remodeling that's occurring here and how um, susceptible you can be to injury if you, if you ignore those signs in your body. When you go from a foundation phase like this in a program where you're doing isolated movements in the elbows, elbow extension and flexion movements, and, and then some dips and uh, pull-ups to having to do transitions in the muscle-up and things like that, there is a huge adaptation that needs to occur. Phil, why don't you talk a little bit about what that means for the tissues in the body? Yeah, I've, I've, like this is something we've talked about a lot before with um, basically if you... With 90% of the injuries that I see coming in, you can pretty much trace it back to a change in activity. Um, you know, I, I kind of encourage people to, um, you know, really keep exercise diaries so they can see and point back to like a time when it's like, oh yeah, that's that's when you know a big shift happened, change of program, maybe quarantine started, picked up oh, running. Oh, that's a knowledge you know. bomb right there, tribe. What he's just said there, tracking your progress mm -hmm. in an exercise diary or program card. Yeah, it's just such a useful tool because it's often not like at the time with these sort of tendinopathy injuries that you you really notice it. It might be like a little sort of you know niggle here and there, but it's it's after a couple of months when something starts to build and you can like that's when you really see the value of it and you can look back and say, okay, that's what changed. Um, and so with something like this where you've gone from... Just wait a sec. Imagine a physiotherapist. For all of you out there who train real hard and have seen physios in the past, imagine a physiotherapist who actually said to you, can I see your program card so we can trace back through and see what could have been the real catalyst to what you're experiencing right now? Just want to give Phil some props for being so freaking awesome <laughs> you know seriously though seriously you know i'm, I'm going to jump in quickly as well and say the biggest leap and bound that i had forward with my training in the last two years is that i started tracking my progress meticulously yeah that is the one thing that made the biggest change in me and you guys see it every day every yeah. single set that i do i come in and i record it every single one i don't wait to the end of the workout and write it down and it has made the biggest change anyway yeah. sorry phil I've um, cut you off. yeah no i think it's just a really key thing here where um going with blakely's example and tying it into what we're going to be talking about with um someone having this medial elbow tendinopathy or golfer's elbow issue Yep. is it's yeah going from something where you're just doing very um you know uh, movements like the you know extension and inflection of the elbow so pretty simple movements to then trying to tie it together into something where you've got pulling you've got uh, compression of a joint you've got um you know a transition in in the muscles that you're using uh, it's quite a, a different stimulus on the body and and as with everything we talk about you need a bit of time to be able to adapt to that so uh yeah i think with um 
with Blakely as well, it's it is that kind of you le- with these learning new moves. You're also it's, there's a neural drive component to it, and so um, you know it's it it will just take a bit of time, and and the more kind of time you can give it, the less likely you're going to have a sort of you know peak over your threshold that's going to then start off this cascade of of you know overuse injury. So yeah. So the big take home message, other than what Phil said about tracking your progress being super important, and for those of you who are at that mastery level where you're adding skills like the muscle up masterclass, it is absolutely critical. That's why we put effort into giving you these program cards. Uh, it is just so important that you track that not just for your own progress, not just for what Rad's talking about, where it really is key to leveling up, but at, in the event that you do get a setback, you hit a roadblock and you need to go and have a consultation with someone like Phil, you can just um, share on, on Google Drive or send him a copy of your program card to help pre-frame your consultation. And he can have a look at that and see... You know, there's all sorts of different variables going on there that he can look at and so much data he can get from a good program card. The longer you've tracked your progress for, obviously the better, you know. But often it's, you know, it, like it's so useful to have that as the kind of foundation, but then, um, you know, it's it's often sort of things on top of your training, like, you know, maybe mowing the lawn for, you know, a massive lawn that you've left for a long time or you're helping out your grandma sort of once off and it's these kind of once off things that uh, if you understand that kind of basics of training so you've got like you know maybe peak week coincided with you decide to go rock climbing with mates it's those kind of yeah um, bits moving of house yeah it's a exactly. crack cracker yeah for me exactly. i always like seem to i i now know that before i do a house move or something like that i have a deload period yeah, of a couple totally. of days even and what i love is with the um exercise prescription software that i use which has videos and explanations about all the exercises that i get um my patients doing it also comes with a tracker where they can uh, put in comments and can put in uh, pain scores on like any exercises and if it goes above a certain threshold that I set then I get notified about that and that's a good way of being able to sort of yeah check in and make sure everything's going well but that's just that kind of next level of tracking where you can even put in sort yeah, of that's sensation awesome. like you know pain sensations or that sort of stuff as well that's gives awesome. good information all right now before we move into what can go wrong uh with um pain uh, uh sorry load management let's rad give your feedback for blakely oh look all i was going to say is um blakely you can uh you in the uh jumping muscle ups you still want to be focusing on trying to get an eccentric, um, a good eccentric transition. So what Alex and Lockie have said is really, really true. But if, but if I get a little bit closer on that, like they're both talking about, you know, really try and focus on the technique and everything, which is really, really hard. Like what you're talking about um, is so true. When you go to this progressions phase, it's like, oh my God, the volume, you know, of intensity is just so hard. But when you're going down, you've got a really good eccentric dip, but then as soon as you start to transition, you just drop. And what you want to try and do is is at least just get from here to here under a bit of control and then as slow as you can. And a good way to do that is just to lower the rings. Lower the rings so that at the point when you're at the bottom of that dip, your feet can just be on the ground so that you can get a little bit of a transition. That's all I'd say because you really want to, that's the bit that you want to be you know working on the best and that's what i always tell people in the gym if the rings are too high they get the jump muscle up but then on the way down you know it just goes to crap what everyone's distracted by your keyboard again steve cavana <laughs> he's trying to break the matrix look uh guys uh, there's a lot of great interaction going on in the comments here on the ums <laughs> movement mastermind private facebook group we will get to you guys uh in just a sec uh we and and for the guys listening on the podcast or watching on the replay you got to get over the UMS Movement Mastermind and join that group so you can interact here and ask questions. Okay, so 
Now moving on, uh, Yash Varden, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Welcome, first of all, to the UMS Movement Mastermind. He's a new member. Love seeing new members post. Yeah, that's a- absolutely right, you know, because a lot, a lot of people join this group and then for six months they don't do much and then realize, oh my God, I've got this great resource of w- industry-leading physios and just amazingly good-looking people like myself and then Rad uh, to help. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so (laughs) just to frame uh, some context here. Hey, guys, I'm dealing with a golfer's elbow. It happened two to three months ago while throwing a ball. The issue was never very bad. It was always under five currently, and I'm assuming he's referring to like a pain score out of 10. Currently, I'm performing some strengthening exercises, and my issue is between two and four. I really need to back uh, uh, to back to my game, I guess, get back to my game. Could you help me with what to do? I'm really confused. There's a lot of people chiming in. Um, so I know what Phil's going to say, first of all, which is how did you diagnose the tendonitis? Tendinopathy. Tendinopathy, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, you're right. And, I, and thinking about this, I kind of wanted to take a moment to point out, like with just, you know, people are pretty quick to jump on Google and quickly get a, um, a diagnosis. But... Um, I brought up a list of differential diagnosis when it comes to just medial el- elbow tendinopathy to give you a bit of an idea about like all the things that could be happening because often, you know, as soon as someone feels pain in one area, they jump to conclusions. So uh, this is just a quick little list of things that could be happening in medial elbow. It could be a C6, C7 radiculopathy. could be a compression neuropathy of the ulnar and median nerve. could be an older uh, medial collateral ligament instability. could be ulnar neuritis, um, ulnar medial collateral ligament sprain, adhesive capsulitis, osteoarthritis, flexor pronator strain, anterior osseous nerve entrapment, uh, atherofibrosis, loose bodies, medial epicondyle elvosion, uh, osteophytes, synovitis, to, uh, tardy ulnar nerve palsy, valgus extension overload, and lateral epicondylopathy. So just to give oh you a bit God, of an I idea. I need to go and just like <laughs> take a moment where I just go. <laughs> 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 so that's the kind of stuff that we have to learn for years and years and years and learn in, in uni. And so just to give you a bit of an idea, if you like, we've just had a few um, comments recently on the, um, on the group Post. where people are uh, self-diagnosing and then treating the wrong an- injury for a long time, like the Decoervines guy who yep. was treating it like a tendinopathy when really it's a tendinocytovitis. So I just really want to stress that like, there's a reason why you have to you know, spend a See lot a of time like, yeah. <laughs> studying this stuff. Because Can I just jump in here? This, this, there's a reason why when people, people ask ask for advice and when you're not sitting at this table, the first thing that I always say is go and see a professional. Yeah. Don't ask me, a personal trainer, to give you a diagnosis over YouTube it's ridiculous. Like yeah. you've got to go and see a professional and don't diagnose yourself like what Phil's saying. Yeah. First step. So yeah, just to, to point out, it is like, it's a tricky thing. There's lots going on in the body. There's so many structures that can be impacted, but uh, we're going to talk about just going on to the golfer's elbow, assuming that that's what so, you do so, have. So assuming that that's what we have. And, yeah. and, and really guys, remember if, when you make an assumption, you make an ass out of you an umption, <laughs> you know? So just, um, Take this with a grain of salt because yep. it, I, I would recommend that you reach out to Phil and book a consultation and get a proper diagnosis. And uh, if you can't get a consultation with Phil, then align yourself. It's so important that if you guys are going to take your exercise seriously and you're going to go beyond the realm of just building a daily habit of exercise, you need to build a team of people who you know, like and trust. And uh, that team needs to include, in my opinion, a soft tissue expert, and it needs to include 
uh, a physiotherapist. And if you can combine the two, like Phil, the master, Obi-Wan Kenobi over here, or he's probably more like Yoda. Uh, Obi-Wan was better looking. Um, <laughs> I was going to go out there and say something maybe controversial, but I think soft tissue expert, not necessary. Like I don't, okay, yep. you know, like I've moved further and further away from manual therapy, hands-on treatment over the years, just from like getting pretty involved in the research around it. And I think it's a wonderful thing that, you know, if you have the luxury of doing and it, you know, you can afford it and it feels like if you feel good and you enjoy it, yes. But if you're really going to hone in on the most important thing to keep you like, uh, you know, on track, healthy, not injuring yourself, um, then I think, you know, seeing a physio is, is more important because there's like demonstrable, like scientific research to show that, you know, that's helpful rather than massage. Wow. Controversy. So, Controversy. Yeah. I don't know where I'd be without your hands on me at least once a week, Phil. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So with this, we're talking about uh, golfer's elbow. And um, again, this isn't specific advice to you. Um, I haven't had a consultation with you. Yash, I'm going to call you for short. Um, so this is general information about golfer's elbow. Just my little disclaimer there. Um, yeah, so I think what you've said at the end there, I'm really confused, is very much a common thing for people who've suffered from uh, tendinopathies because it, as we talked about before, we'd like trying to pinpoint when it started and why it's happening and why when it rests, it doesn't just, you know, why it feels better. But then when I come back, it like the pain comes back. I think confusion is a really common thing here. And that's why, yeah, we love giving out this information to try and give you some clarity on what's going on here. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's probably a bit different from a lot of people in this group where you actually uh, throw a ball. Most yeah. of these people in here are, you know, stuck in the gym all day. Never yeah, go. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, this ball throwing, I'd be interested to know what sport you are playing because it sounds I'm, like that. I'm so. going to assume cricket, but that is a terrible generalisation. Um, but, yeah, it could be, it could be all sorts yeah, so of different th things. Um, and it's, it's quite a common thing for um, medial elbow tendinopathy to start when throwing a ball because of a... Um, role that the muscles around there have that often sort of people don't think about, which is actually helping uh, force closure of the joint. And so that's just kind of to show that if you are um, only ever doing very controlled, weight-bearing kind of calisthenics-like movement, and then you go out and you do a totally different style of um, contraction for the muscle, which would be like a eccentric kind of control as you're going into this valgus position with your elbow. So that means like a, your elbow is kind of going off, off center. Yep. Um, and then an explosive sort of throwing action where you're getting your, you know, wrist flick, like all of these things that using the muscles in a very different way than maybe someone who's just used to doing calisthenics would have used them. And that's what we're talking about here with like this change in activity that, you know, you can be really strong in one way, like someone like a, um, you know, a Ronnie Coleman, who's a, got the biggest calves you've ever seen in your life. If it, like he went for a run, he's going to have sore calves from going for a run because it's this different type of loading, different contraction style. Um, and he's going to have bloody sore doms, even though he's got these massive, um, strong calves. So I think it's just really important to see there that like, just cause you train in one way doesn't mean that you'll be ready for every type of movement. Yep. So, um, now when it comes to, uh, there's an area here, sorry to cut you off. There's an area in this conversation thread of, of um, Yashvardhan's um, question that I think we can give some real context and some real value. And that is when, if you scroll down to where uh, Kim Engler has commented and said, I've had this for eight years now, had cortisone, auto... Autologous. Autologous blood injections, lots and lots of physio, comes good for a while and then flares up again. I think that there's a real um, 
uh, I think that this is one of the areas that I've had a real breakthrough with tendinopathy um, since having you hang, hang around, which is to build context around the absolute necessity for the right training, the right exercise, because it seems like everything that Kim has listed there is about treating the, 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 the symptom of it and probably potentially helping to manage the discomfort of it uh, and to help stimulate the um, repair mechanism but, uh, or, or, or um, uh, minimize inflammation. But there's nothing there that he's listed about how he's reintroduced exercise or continued to exercise. I think Kim's a girl. Kim, okay, okay. Yep. If it's if it's a girl, I'm very sorry, Kim. Uh, Kim, um, if uh, uh, they have or how they've handled exercise, there's no yep. mention there of that yeah, at all. Yeah, and that's one of the things where so, like lots and lots of physio, which it's kind of one of these funny things where I, I I've talked a bit before with like physio being a profession versus physio being a treatment, where people say like, oh, I've had physio on that, like, yeah, you know, I've. It's yeah. like uh, it's like saying I've had lots and lots of mechanic. Yes, I've, you know, exactly. I've I, like you've got a car problem, and there's good mechanics and bad mechanics, and yeah. mechanics who are great at diagnosis, and mechanics who are great at changing clutches. Yeah, you know, but you wouldn't say I've had a great mechanic. I've I've be, I've yeah. been been going to mechanic. Yes. you know, like exactly. So um, when you say you've had lots and lots of physio, I, like it's unfortunate. I wish there was some big sort of standardized way in which we could all do the right thing all the time. But um, as I've talked a lot about my show this last couple of weeks about how physios change and the sort of like, like the way in which I think that physios should be treating, um, there's a really interesting sort of like, I guess, change in the science over time, which has really um, impacted how we've gone from being very much like a passive, like hands-on massage, maybe electrical shock therapy and that kind of stuff to being a bit more exercise prescription, education advice, uh, the biopsychosocial model, which I explained in yesterday's show. Um, and so, and there's also these like, especially in private health uh, sort of situations, like in Australia, um, there's, you know, these ethical sort of monetary dilemmas that I have where, you know, it's when physio is a business where you have to get someone coming back in over and over again, it makes business sense to do something where, uh, you know, the like you're doing something to them rather than giving a exercise program that they have to do for then, you know, a year unsupervised. So that's just my physio rant, which I've been kind of ranting about the last couple of weeks by myself, screaming into the void. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but just quickly on Kim's, uh, so talking here about cortisone. So cortisone is an interesting one. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a um, cortisone is a steroid, which basically not a um, you know. Uh, make you buff sort of steroid, but a really potent anti-inflammatory um, uh, injection. And with cortisone injections, they can be useful for, uh, I guess, settling things down uh, like really quickly. It gets totally um, gets rid of the inflammatory response pretty much. Um, but the issue with that is unless you use that time to do some serious strengthening and really get some load through that um, structure, then the cortisone is pretty much useless. useless. And not only useless, but long-term weakens the tendon. Yeah. So the only, only, only time that I'd ever like think that maybe it would be appropriate to get cortisone is basically for an elite athlete who has played no profession they professional have, yeah. sport, like they not even, not even yeah. like you're a, yeah. you know, in the local footy league and you're doing really well. And like, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, like only if you're a professional athlete who has to like <laughs> yep. maybe play their last season ever finals um so i think cortisone i think it's terrible that people give cortisone as to regular people who don't have that because it just totally um 
sets them up for long-term failure unless they've really hit the message hard about like this is the time that you start loading the hell out of this tendon um, and autologous blood um, injections just to give a bit of information on that it's basically using your own blood and often prp which is platelet platelet rich plasma so blood very expensive process yes yeah. very expensive <laughs> very expensive this doctor is you know <laughs> making some making some out of kim. money out of kim um, yeah and basically it's like not proven to actually do anything for tendon up these there's some conflicting evidence but may or may not be helpful. But the one thing we know about tendinopathies is load. We yeah. have to load the thing. And that's where <laughs> I want to go with this conversation yes. because so. I think we can give some value here now. Because even down here, we, we see Randall Starr saying, mine sounds like Kim's, very painful, and for many years currently unable to do any pull type work. So there's a there's a misunderstanding here of the uh, of the under, uh, of the processes involved in uh, in working through regressing to the right point and yes. then progressing forward with tendinopathy yeah and then um yash has said can can we perform push work bench press and stuff and then randall's come back and said push all day but no towel work um you know and kind of saying like they've totally taken away any pulling from the thing which is only um going to underload this tendon and basically and make it worse make it worse make prolong yeah. the issue so let's let's give these guys some context into what is this, the, the recommended course of action assuming that the diagnosis is correct and we do have a tendinopathy in any muscle uh, it doesn't matter whether it's the elbow uh, the forearm the shoulder uh, because load management here is like critical critical you know yeah. the way that we load it the type of contraction comes into play you know the the amount or frequency of that contraction comes into play it's you, you got to go beyond okay uh, I, I got to stop pulling so therefore I'm not going to do anything where I'm gripping and using my bicep yep. tendons or those muscles you know yep it's basically uh, like manage pain then load 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 is the uh, <laughs> sort of short and sweet answer of how you do this uh, how you get on top of a tendinopathy because basically what we've got to do is give it adequate stimulus to remodel its collagen um, in a way that is um, going to be uh, basically support the structure of the joint also uh, sorry not the joint the tendon but at the same time if you look at imaging and that's one thing where people get really sort of um, go in the wrong path with tendinopathy is a um, they use imaging as the guideline of whether or not it's got better so it's a classic one with um uh often in Achilles where you kind of get a, you see this like big fat um, Achilles on one side from a um, tendinopathy and then you get imaging. It looks like there's kind of holes in it. Um, and, but the thing is that that's not at all related to pain and function. So the, the, like when it gets big and fat, it's actually because it's laying down more and more um, fibers in there. And if you, uh, like once you go through your rehab process and you, come out the other end, you're not going to have a pristine looking tendon. It's not going to be perfectly, you know, looking like a, you know, young teenagers sort of healthy, um, well, you know, clean tendon. Basically it's, it's always going to look like that, but that doesn't at all mean that it's not going to be pain-free and functioning really well. Yeah. So, um, the thing is we've got to try and, um, start loading it, get it stronger, deal with all the other psychosocial in the biopsychosocial model that I talked about yesterday on my show. Um, we've got to get all those things right about like a, you know, um, getting back into, uh, healthy behaviors and mindset and nutrition, diet, stress, all those other things. So. so I think what's important for people to understand is that there are many different ways to load a tendon. And what you 
know to be the best way might be doing like pull-ups or bent over row or something like that may be way too complex as a starting point yeah and that's where people go wrong rather than going back to maybe an if it's bad enough starting with an isometric or an eccentric or a concentric only contraction yeah there used to be a lot of debate for those people who are probably followed a bit of tendency stuff it used to be like oh is it like isometrics of the way or eccentrics but now it's kind of that's sort of basically uh come down to like it doesn't really matter as long as you're getting like the total load intensity sort of right um and that comes down to sort of having an idea about where your threshold is so basically we use 24-hour pain as um the way to get on top of it so if you do something one day and then the next day it really hurts and it goes above your sort of baseline pain then you've done something that is too much. And so that's where this exercise diary really comes into um, So just stop, well. just stop for a second. I want everyone to pay attention because this is the aha moment for tendinopathy treatment. Mm-hmm. What Phil just said is very, very important. So just repeat that again. Yep. So we have- a, First you get a baseline of pain. Just put, Yeah, so basically like, you know, most mornings people with tendinopathy will wake up with like a certain amount of pain if they've just had like a regular sort of uh, day, um, say that's two out of 10 in the morning, gets better once you start doing things. Um, and so what we're going to use as our feedback for whether or not the structured tendinopathy rehab that we're doing is too much is if we do that exercise and then the next day it jumps up to a five or it jumps up to an eight, you know, like what we want to do is try and stick around, do enough exercise that we're, we're training it. We're probably getting even some tolerable pain during the training itself. And then the next day, um, we want it to stick around that sort of two or three out of 10 baseline or even, you know, zero is fine. Too. And so there's, there's no way around the fact that this is going to take a little bit of um, exploration. You've had tendinopathy many times before. It takes a little bit of... I had it twice and I uh, got medial uh, epicondylitis and then lateral. And um, the hardest thing for me to understand, like I think everything that you guys have just said is 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 the way to explain it. But even for somebody like me, what made the most sense... Uh, and what I mean by somebody like me, I mean somebody that is a personal trainer and that gets this stuff. What made the most sense was understanding that when you do a movement, you uh, like, for example, the pulling movement where someone was saying here before that you should avoid, you know, rowing, which which is not the case. But you've got to understand that the amount of load that you put through that movement is not what's going to challenge the muscles that you're normally trying to challenge with a row, which would be the lats and the biceps and the deltoids and, you know, the pulling muscles it's going to be the load that's going to challenge the tendons of the forearm to give them what they want, which is most likely going to do very little for, you know, giving you a burn in your lats and your back and your biceps yeah, and stuff. That idea of the weakest link, eh? Like it's you've the just, weakest link. You, yeah. got, you, you train for the weakest link. And when, yeah. I, when, when I understood that, because I was, you know, I, I went through this with years with Phil, like oh, I thought it was isometrics and oh, it's eccentrics. And when you started explaining this to me and I went, oh, okay, like that. And then when I started doing the movements that I could do, but... I was doing it where the focus wasn't on, you know, how do I feel my back when I'm doing a pull-up? It was, how does this feel on my forearms? That's when I had the biggest yeah. breakthrough. So, so to just sum up quickly, so we move on yeah. the te- off, off the tendinopathy because we <laughs> can talk about it all day. The key is to, to, to not stop exercising. Yes. I strongly avoid taking an um, uh, imagery diagnosis with this because it can be very misleading you're not and i think everyone needs to get over the fact that after about the age of 30 any image you do on your body is not going to look perfect like you can you know i get i've had spinal uh and they did a great um study of olympic athletes a few years back and um did 
MRIs of all of their spines and almost like a ridiculously high percentage of um, athletes competing at the highest level had disc bulges and all sorts of stuff, you know, but no symptoms whatsoever of that. And so imagery, you take it with a grain of salt. Yes, it's useful yeah, sometimes. Kind of a way of explaining it is, is like, look in a mirror when you're 60, you'll have wrinkles, you'll have, yeah, <laughs> or when you're even, you know, 30, 40, like you start to have physical changes on your skin, you'll have like moles and, you know, all yeah. sorts of stuff that maybe wasn't there when you were, you were younger. Yeah. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, your body reacting to life. Like, yeah, 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 that's right. So don't, don't take it with it. Take images with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, they don't always uh, align perfectly really with what you should in be experiencing. Cases, but yeah, that's right. So useful at the moment. Keep exercising, but load management is key. And what Rad said at the end there is absolutely critical. You must start loading to your weakest link when you're suffering any sort of compromise. Any sort of compromise, injury, especially tendinopathy, it's not ne no longer about getting the best workout for your back or your, you know, um, the, the bigger um, mu global muscles that you love training when you do a rowing movement pattern or a chin-up movement pattern or something like that. It's about loading to the level of the compromised area now. So it's a regression. And that's why we say you're not in rehab. You're just regressing movements to suit where you're at currently. And that doesn't mean you can't train your back. You just find other ways of doing, doing it. it. It might be that, you know, you when you're doing bent over rows or something, you use some straps. straps. Yep. Uh, you could double down on like the trap three rows sort of stuff, like a lot of the yep. you know, WYTs and um, that kind of stuff. So it's just a matter of adapting and, and understanding how to um, yep. manage. That's yourself. exactly right. Okay, guys, uh, I know Rad's gagging to sink into some of the um, uh, questions and comments that have come yeah, through live. No, it's all right. I just I <laughs> want to answer Adam Meliani's question. Because okay, he's, yep. he's yep. asked the question. Um, Phil, did you have a look at his stuff? Yeah, yeah, the tight bicep during the tricep stretch. So the first thing that I'll say is, Adam, um, man, there is absolutely nothing wrong with your internal rotation stretch of your wrists. There yep. is, that That's is, actually good. It's yep. very good, man. Good, good range of movement. <laughs> your arms aren't designed to turn inside out perfectly in yeah, there. You know? yeah. You're talking about, man, I mean, look at the videos of me doing it. I don't get any further than you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, only double-jointed people will go further than that. Uh, and as far as the, when you do the, the, base, the basic tricep stretch behind my back, I'm feeling a lot of tightness in my bicep, not even my triceps. My left bicep is feeling much more of the tightness than my right. Do you have any exercises to gradually loosen up the biceps for the stretch? Yeah, this one was a bit film? of a like a bit of a confusing one um, because what he's talking about there is basically grabbing your elbow and pulling it back like that, where we usually would feel a stretch in your tricep. Um, one thing that Rich sort of put out there, which um, I thought kind of made a lot of sense, is that maybe it's just getting into that fully compressed um, elbow flexion position and then getting some um, like joint tension in the actual like uh, compression that actually causes just like a sensation of tightness in that sort of bicep area. Um, yeah, I think you like from what I've seen of what you do, like you have great shoulder mobility and great, like the, I don't think there's like a tightness issue there. Well, have a look um, at this. Look at this. Yeah. Wa we're watching the video right now. What I can say is when I see the extension in his spine, when you do that tricep stretch, I can tell you now, I didn't used to feel it in my tricep. And the one thing that made the biggest difference for me, Adam, was you do exactly the same thing with your arm that you're doing, but focus on creating uh, spine flexion because what that's going to do is give you a much more realistic feeling of how much shoulder flexion you're yeah, getting nice. and that helped me to get it in the tricep more um, and the other thing i thought about just for like the comfort of it because i think like you know getting up to that position if you just change um from being in a supinated to maybe a pronated position up there that takes a bit of tension 
um, that, that lengthens the bicep. So that will be a good sort of differential diagnosis to see if it is in fact your bicep, if the changing movement in your wrist, um, so going from basically palm up to palm down in that position, if that changes how your bicep feels, then that's giving us more information that it is in fact your bicep, not just like a joint compression thing or yep. something else. And I can't give you the physio um, tech answer for this one, but what I can tell you is that through my decades of movement practice, I went through many um, aches and pains and discomforts that no one was able to explain to me um, back when I was doing martial arts and I wasn't working with somebody like Phil who could really talk to me about anatomy and physiology. Uh, but the answer that I got was, eh, that's just the kinds of things that your body experiences when you train and you'll work yeah. through it. And guess what? The, I don't feel any of them anymore. And the more I study, the more I just ignore stuff in my body. <laughs> like yeah. there's just so much weird signal and weird, like, you know, one-off stuff that yeah. it's just not worth. And this about. ties into, can you bring Steve Cavanagh's um, comment up? It says here supporting Phil. That's it's a, it's a bigger comment uh, about four or five up. Richard, yeah. I'm going to read this to build some context because this is really, really important, guys. Steve Cavanagh says, supporting Phil, I had hands-on electrical therapy, hands-on therapy and electrical therapy, and my issue got worse. After consulting Phil, proper diagnosis with, and this is key, exercise specifics to the issue, it has improved heaps, really different to what I was used to. He even goes as far as saying, I was skeptical of online consult uh, because you, you're used to going to see a physio and getting them to muck around with their hands. And there is a white coat syndrome, placebo effect that comes from that, I believe. But I don't think that it helps when you, like any, I'm gonna go so far, and this is very controversial. I'm gonna go so far and to say, if you go and see a physio and they don't, really have a look and understand what you're doing, meaning your exercise program, and they don't prescribe you a way to continue exercising above all else, and maybe to regress some movements and do some stuff specific to your issue. And it needs to be periodized. So it can't just be a blanket statement. There needs to be a, w a way or a means to progress you from that baseline forward. Then I think your physio sucks, honestly. I, I really, I really believe that. Like, obviously, there are certain cases with like acute injuries and whatever that you just gotta, you know, <laughs> stop for a little while. But you can, like, I still think the physio should be encouraging working on, you know, if it's a hamstring injury, keeping your upper body strong. Like, yep. I, I think that really, as a physio, you're a health consultant, and you should be looking at more than just that type, sort of little yep. picture stuff. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And this, and this is really framing up the conversation here, it is so important to get a proper diagnosis. It is so important to understand that there are a lot of things that can be going on in your body. And Dr. Google is not always the best way to determine what it is because you can waste. We spoke about this earlier in the week about efficiency in life in general. You can waste a lot of time treating the wrong issue with the wrong treatment or having the wrong approach to something and then get very frustrated and almost um, play the blame game as to why you've gone down that rabbit hole. Oh, well, I tried this and tried that. And it might have been a blog post by some great physio around the world who suggested to do this. And then you blame them because their treatment didn't work or whatever else, you know. Um, I can't stress enough how important it is to go and get a proper, proper um, uh, diagnosis and proper prescription, you know. And that might mean that you need to go and see more than one person. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, I mean, look, 
give you an example. My son's sick at the moment. We went and saw a doctor. The doctor said there's nothing wrong with him. Two days later, he's rushed into emergency because I said, no, I want a second opinion. And we took him to hospital and they looked at him and said, my God, he needs to be admitted to hospital. You know, if he had, have, if we had have ignored and taken the first doctor's opinion, he would have got really, really sick. You know, it, you, you, it's up to you guys to, to, to make, you know, to, um, make <laughs> to take uh, i guess some sort of ownership and responsibility if you're not happy with the first diagnosis go and see someone else it, it is just such a tough one and i like it's what i've been again talking about sort of this week on my on my show is like that you know you wish it simple it would be so nice if like the human body was just like a um you know it was easy to diagnose easy to treat but really there's so much going on and that psychosocial side of things as well has a huge impact on pain experience and blah blah so like yes it's a uh, there's a lot of variety in, in people you see and that's the reason for it is because humans are bloody complex. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So try and get to a few of these questions in the live stream. Yeah, absolutely. Adam's saying thank you. Roger Tulevsky, thanks for joining us, brother. He's saying I love the countdown timer. Yeah. <laughs> Clay, Brenda Conway, yeah, especially in the US, there is such a broad range of quality and physio. It's in any profession, yeah. Clay, any profession. I was a, um, a mechanical engineer and there was a very broad... Uh, spectrum of skill in uh, engineering, in personal training, you know, or anything. It's, and it's it's a, it's it's up to you to find the right people to align yourself with, you know. Yeah. Ruth's got a good question here. She said, do you ever find that the injuries can come not from training where there is a focus on form, but rather on out of training habits and movements, e.g. walking, yes, pattern, posture. 100%. Oh Absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that's where injuries all, come from. All of my injuries are me just doing dumb stuff where I'm not thinking. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> but it's, if you think about yeah. this as well, Ruth, like um, when I sit like this all day long, did my injury come because I went into the gym and did a deadlift or because I developed really horrible stuff going on in my posture that when I went to do a good movement, my body wasn't capable of it. That's just a Mate, I've, I spent a, example, a decade banging the posture drum because I, I started my career as a trainer dealing with people who had very sedentary lifestyles. And that was just because I was... I had a bit of experience rehabbing my own spinal injury. I tend, I seem to migrate to become the spine guy at the Fitness First, which is a big box gym that I used to work out of. And yeah, like the I beat that drum for a decade, how much your body adapts to what you expose it to most. And if that's sitting in a chair all day, then you are going to adapt to that chair. And that chair is going to cause you what I call... Uh, the chair chance transformation injuries, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's not good. And then when you try and go to the gym and lose some weight, you join a CrossFit gym and they get your power snatching all of a sudden and your body's shaped like a freaking question mark. But we used to get like, remember a lot of our members before we were doing the UMS and when we, we did do some, you know, some more sort of fat loss based type programming. We used to have members that would train with us four or five days a week and they'd be absolutely fine. And then they'd come in one day, barely being able to walk, and you'd say, what happened? And they said, oh, I was throwing a ball down at the beach with my son on the weekend and I put my back out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, look oh at... Oh, my um, God, you, you squat your body weight, but then you throw a ball on the weekend yeah. and your back goes out. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly But enough. in all honesty, that's one of the reasons why we created the UMS because... And yeah, I think that's really spot on. And, and I was having a bit of a discussion online with them, um, back and forth in one of the comments with um, Biwa, one of the moderators on the UMS uh, Mastermind, and, and talking about like the idea of being anti-fragile. And I think that that's a really kind of nice way of thinking about this is with 
the UMS, what I think it does really well is gives you exposure to a wide variety of stimulus. So you've got, you know, strength stimulus, you've got stretching stimulus, you've got different positions that your body is probably not usually in. Um, you've also got different contraction types. So you've got like your jumping lunges, you've got power production, but you've also got slow eccentrics, you've got, you know, heavy controlled concentrics. Mm -hmm. And all of this builds exposure to a wide variety of um, stimulus. And that means that when you go out there and you then in the world have some a wide variety of stimulus that you have to deal with, you've had exposure to it before and you're much better able to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's where the UMS is so powerful is it does have that like yeah. exposure to a lot. Um, yeah, when it comes to like, and the other thing I guess comes down to kind of skills where you're, when you're focused on a particular skill of like say a deadlift is, is very much a mental, uh, like a, a strong mental focus on that. Um, but yeah, certainly then it, it's, it's another thing to go out into the wild and then um, yeah, like, when you're, it's often when you're not thinking that you, you know, all those kind of patterns that you've produced in the gym to, you know, bracing and all that kind of stuff uh, goes a bit out the window. And not, not to say that you should brace to pick up like a shoebox, but like it's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, um, there's a great, very um, did great you see story. Shona's post on Instagram about, about that, Shona. You don't know Shona? No, I do know Shona, but hold on a sec. Let me just quickly. There's a great story from a friend of ours who's arguably one of the strongest guys in the country and in the world, really, uh, Australian strength coach, Sebastian. Is he Oren. arguably? Or arguably. Is he? He's up there. He's <laughs> I up think there. He is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, for those of you who don't know um, Sebastian, um, Australian strength coach, check him out. He's a powerlifter, professional powerlifter, you would say, trains Hafthor Bjornsson, the strongest man in the world. And and he's, you know, he bench presses like 230 kilos or something or 240 kilos. He's an absolute yeah. beast. 245. Yeah. Right, and um, he missed a lift uh, a, a year or so back and threw, took his weight belt off and threw it across his gym floor and tore his rotator cuff, you know, like, and, and this is a guy who literally in those movements is one of the strongest in the world. And it just goes to show that it doesn't really matter what style of training you do there's always there's always things that you can do to your body that are going to yeah, cause that, issues like you know lifting is the ultimate kind of specificity of training it's, it's that's you're, right you're so focused on three lifts and you just do those three lifts and you you change the variability like you change the only variables you change is how much you're lifting and the rep ranges yeah um, whereas you're getting no sort of very little movement outside of those sort of three lifts so. and, and 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 on that you know um just to make it clear that bass doesn't just do bench press i've seen the guy um shoulder press for reps 70 kilo dumbbells you know like yeah, he, 80 kilo dumbbells now you know because he's got 80s and, and 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 i'm talking like eight reps you know so he's got strong shoulders but yeah. what i'm trying to prove here is that his shoulders aren't conditioned to throw something you yeah. know and uh and that's one of the reasons why we we train like i said in a blog post a while ago we're blessed um as humans who aren't professional athletes to not have to train like a professional athlete oh, yeah. and we have this um this notion that uh, professional athletes are the best in the world and the strongest in the world and the most fit in the world but they're in many cases they're not uh, because they're very limited to how they have to train because they have to become a master at their specific sport and sometimes a specific role in their sport or their team so they do that thing over and over and over again but if you take them outside of that niche they're often very vulnerable yeah. you know and uh, in some cases some of the professional athletes that i've rehabbed or trained in the gym have been the most compromised people i've worked with because of their specificity now with as phil's pointed out with the ums when we're probably never going to be the best deadlifters in the world or the best squatters in the world but we train for that balance because we try to train 
everyday human beings you know we're not training for specificity and that's the beauty of it that's what i love about it you know because we're less vulnerable when it comes to it you know uh, but there is a real need in order to do that um you know inversion training handstands muscle ups all these things take time and practice to unlock and appropriate progression and appropriate progression and load yeah. management you know so yeah you can't rush it anyway god we've gone all over the place today in this conversation uh and i'd just like to welcome natalie o'brien to the stream she i haven't seen you before she's new to the ums muscle she's asked about um, body composition we need to hear a bit more specificity in that natalie is it uh, nutrition is it training um uh that you want to know more about uh who else I think that's pretty much it. Hello, uh, Quark. Hello, Blakely. Car Carmine's got a question about best shoulder flossing technique using a lacrosse ball against the wall for pec minor and a theracane. Uh, basically, do what feels good. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, I love that answer. That's the best. Rub the ball where it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> and if it, if it feels uncomfortable, do it a little bit more there. <laughs> yeah. Well, not to, to, to an extent. You know, you, I've, I've, heard of, I've heard of people damaging dorsal scapular nerves and yeah, things like that by pushing too like, hard. And yeah, don't always go for the thing that hurts more. Yeah, because like <laughs> the nerves usually if, feel if, really good you when you get into them. shooting fire down your yeah, arms yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, numbness in your fingers and definitely stop. But yeah, just on, on like manual therapy stuff and hands on, you know, self-release, basically do what feels good. Yeah, like there's, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the upper body and the nerves are in the upper body are quite a, a little bit more superficial than other areas of the body. So just be aware of that. The brachioradial nerve complex is pretty incredible and it branches out all over the place. So just, you know, don't hack yourself to pieces. But, um, yeah, do what feels good. Nice. <laughs> all right, guys, that is oh, uh, let's it. Let's We're way over time. Yeah, let's leave the show on do what feels good. Yeah. <laughs> See you later, everyone. Have a great weekend. Oh, oh. the uh, Spine Mobility Masterclass. Oh. <laughs> You're going to be able to get it in one hour. As soon as I get off this show, I'm going to finish the last finishing touches to launch it. And uh, as always, you're going to have this 72 hours to get it at a very discounted rate before it goes to the normal price. And um, every, every so is, often in life, you get an opportunity that this is, is a game changer. Other this is a game yeah. changer. I guarantee it. If you, it doesn't matter what you want to do in life, it's going to be enhanced by a healthy spine. Yeah. So get amongst it. If you don't like it, tell me. We'll give you your money back within the first 30 days. Simple yeah, as that. No problems. Yeah. Cool. Level up, tribe. Have a great weekend. This is us signing off for here in Sydney, Australia. It's Friday, and uh, we'll see you all back Monday here on the UMS Movement Mastermind. Uh, hopefully, sooner or later, we'll have Phil here every day again. Yeah. Um, Soon. Yeah, we'll get him here. We're going to chain him to the table. We won't let him go. <laughs> I know a lot of you have loved seeing Phil back around the table. And um, Good to be back. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Get at it, tribe health is about performance not just body image you better be willing to accept what you're going to have to do to get there we'll start focusing on movement goals strength goals flexibility goals when you nail that skill that's there forever the body image goal doesn't get you that it's far. the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there it's not the intensity there's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. It's the gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.